Well, having just come back from vacation, it caused me to think of some of my previous vacations. Now, if you know our family very well, it's not just because I'm cheap. We've done a lot of camping. My wife loves to camp and hike. And we love road trips. That one we do share. So when we go somewhere, typically we drive. Um, we drive. We went to Banff up in Alberta, Canada. I think that was about a 16-hour trip or 28-hour I don't know. It was a long trip. The Grand Canyon, Arizona, Washington. We drive. And one of the reasons we do that is we like to see way more of what you get to see if you just hop in an airplane and fly and you're looking out a window from 35,000 feet. Not only do you get to see a lot more, when you stop, you get to talk to some of the people. And you get a greater feel of, for, for what's going on in any given area. I mean, we've had some great conversations with some cowboys in a little podunk restaurant out in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And we have these opportunities to talk to them and, and we learn. And, and it's just fun. And you grab a much greater appreciation. Now, I'm not saying if you fly, go for it. But we don't. We want to get as much as we can and see as much as we can about where we're going. Well, I tell you that because if I was to share with you on like one of our trips like that, and I started going into all these details, you'd look at me and go, that's really neat, Mike. Would you get to the punchline? Because if you're not familiar with the details, you haven't been there, you haven't seen it, you know how it is. It's just not the same. Well, I'm running a great risk today as we come to the conclusion of a really, really long trip. Matter of fact, we started this trip... October 20th of last year. And we're going to finish the trip, sort of, today. And that trip has been a trip through the book called The Story, which really is a trip through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And today, the risk that I'm taking is, as you talk about the book of Revelation, if you even go near the book of Revelation and think we're going to cover it in the next 30, 40 minutes, boy, there's potential for problems there. The book of Revelation is... Is, has got a lot of symbolism. It's a lot of end times. It's kind of like my road trips. If you haven't been there, you don't understand it all. Well, if you haven't studied Revelation, you won't understand it all. And I just want to say, that's okay. I don't expect you to understand it all. I'm going to just reference some things. You might go, what the heck is that? What's he even talking about? And when I do that, I'm going to try to give you at least a scripture in Revelation to read because I hope... As we were singing these songs today, who picked the songs today? Brian, did you pick those songs? Where's Brian? Did you pick those songs? Did you focus on Revelation? God, God is good, isn't he? I was just so excited. To, it, all those songs, it was like being in the book of Revelation. God revealing himself through Jesus, speaking to his church, who he is, singing holy, holy, holy. Awesome. So as we look into the chapter 31 of the story, we're going to be coming to the book of Revelation. The title of my message this morning is simply A Tapestry of Love. Now, I could have said a jigsaw of love, but it didn't have quite the impact. It didn't sound quite as good. But it's kind of like a jigsaw, kind of like a tapestry, maybe kind of like a fine painting. You know, it, take that jigsaw piece, because I know we're all familiar with jigsaw puzzles. You might have a thousand-piece puzzle, and I hold up this piece and say, isn't this the greatest puzzle you've ever seen. You look at it and go, what the heck is that? Nelson's finally lost it completely. But we start to put it together and slowly uh, there's a hundred pieces put together, maybe a couple hundred, maybe four hundred. And all of a sudden you're starting to see, wow, this is going to be cool when we get finished, if we ever get finished. 
And it keeps coming together and coming together. And, and finally, it's like the light goes on and we can see the beauty, the majesty of the entire puddles or the entire painting or the entire tapestry. And that's kind of what it's been like going through the story. For those of you who have stuck with it and hung in there and read every week and stayed up to, base, up to, up to speed with it, hopefully you've seen the tapestry come together. And if you haven't been able to do that, I would encourage you to go back. And even if you have stayed up to speed on reading the book, the story, even though everything in it was biblical and Bible, it doesn't have the whole thing. To go back and really get it all, you need to continue to dig into this. As good as the story was, it's still not this. So you need to go back, and there's so many more stories, so many more details. The journey's been an amazing one. Hopefully, you have all seen God's upper story weaved into this tapestry. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, God's upper story is simply his perspective, his plan unfolding, the plan that you and I can't see completely here on earth. We get so hung up or stuck in our lower story, what's taking place here where we live, that we lose focus and sometimes we get, it almost seems like it's so disconnected, we don't even know what God's upper story is or if he really has got one. But the reality is, the lower story and the upper story are always connected. And one of the exciting things about the book of Revelation is a convergence. God's upper story and the lower story all come together for eternity. You know, from week one of the story, we were seeing common everyday people being used in amazing ways by God to accomplish his purposes. We got to see God moving in, in ways that sometimes we, we wouldn't understand because it didn't seem like a loving thing to do. In disciplining people to draw him back to himself. Other places we got to see God move in supernatural ways through common men and women just like you and me. All to bring about his purposes. Some of us, if we've never read through the Bible before or read something like the story, we got to see things for the first time. For some who have went through it maybe many, many times, I believe if you're, if you're like me, man, there was things that it, it was quickened. It was like, wow, I've never looked at it from quite that angle before. And it was like new revelation. It's awesome the way the Holy Spirit moves. In the Old Testament, as we were working our way through all those chapters, we had, continued to get glimpses of Jesus. Not by name, by types and shadows. Sometimes they weren't real clear. Other times they were much more clear. In the New Testament, all of a sudden, we get to see God in a different way. We get to see the Word, the Creator, Jesus, God in the flesh, walking on planet Earth. As he walked out his life, remember when he said, if you've seen me, if you know me, if you've heard me, you've seen and know and have heard the Father. As he walked on Earth, we were getting to see a glimpse of who God really was, the way he interacted with people. The way he responded when children would come to him. The way he responded when they were making a mockery of his temple. We got to see more and more of the heart of God in Jesus, the God-man walking on earth. And as we continued to look at this tapestry start to come together and, 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 and begin to understand it better, you could almost say during somewhere in there we, we begin to see a, a color dominate. And it was the color of blood red. And it got redder and redder until the cross. And in that time frame, we got to see the full weight of sin. 
we got to see the full fury of the wrath of God towards sin on a man named Jesus. His body tortured to the point as near to death as you could get because of sin. But the good news was the story didn't end there. We got to see as we went through the story that three days after that torment, that, that color of the blood red was changed into the brightness of Easter morning. The glow of Easter morning. I love the, the words in the scripture when it talks about the angel sitting in the tomb and the light of the tomb and Jesus' glorified body and the white linen without blemish. And it's just all of a sudden this beautiful scene after the horror and goriness of the blood and the crucifixion. Jesus had conquered the darkness, he had conquered the power of sin, and he had conquered the power of death. And it's like, hallelujah, we finally got here. But it's not the end of the story. We know as we continue to go through the story, about 40 days after, Jesus ascended to heaven. He left the earth. His physical presence had left the earth. But we also know on the day of Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit to come and indwell every single believer you and me. And he, when he ascended, he's seated at the right hand of God. And if the story ended there, it would kind of like be, okay, he's gone. He's seated somewhere wherever heaven is. The uh, Bible tells us he's praying for us. That's good. What the heck else is he doing? What comes next? How many of you avoid revelation? You don't need to raise your hands. How many of you avoid revela- reading Revelation because you go, who in the world can understand that stuff? There's parts of it I look at and I go, who in the world can understand that stuff? Here's my best guess. What's your best guess? And we avoid things like that at times. But if we avoid revelation, we miss seeing a tremendous revelation of who Jesus is, who he was, and what he's going to be doing, what he's doing now. It's amazing. Revelation. You get the you begin to see a glimmer of Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We understand that. We get a picture of, of a little bit of a picture of who he was before the foundation of the world because he didn't just come into existence in that manger that morning. He'd been around forever with the Father in the fullness of his glory. And we get to see a glimpse of that in Revelation. We also get to see a glimpse of who he's going to be as the righteous judge. There is a judgment day coming that... A lot of people don't want to hear about. A lot of churches don't want to talk about. But there is going to be a day. There is a place called hell of eternal fire. There is a time when it will be too late. And that righteous judge is Jesus. He's the only one that could be the judge. We get to see a glimpse of that. We get to see him as the overwhelming ultimate conqueror. We get to see him finally, for once and for all, crush Satan and declare him condemned and sent into the lake of fire for eternity and every one of his angels go with him. Hallelujah. Finally. It's coming. And we get to see all of that in the book of Revelation. So Revelation is primarily about his ultimate victory over his enemies. But it also shows us him as the the primary subject of the book we get to see kind of some of the final things he's doing. For example, he's still watching over his church. 
It's one of those things we don't get. He's there, seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's here present in our midst by his Holy Spirit. And he's watching over his church. We see in Revelation letters to seven different churches which with encouragements and challenges and rebukes for each church. So he's still watching over his church. There will be a time where he is going to be returning for all of his own. He is coming back. And it says when he comes back, there's going to be a trumpet call and every eye will see. The whole world will see Jesus returning. And when you read about what it's going to look like, it, it kind of stretches your imagination because it's beyond what we can see, have ever seen in the natural on this earth. But he's coming back. Throughout the Bible, we've been talking about some primary themes throughout the story of God's relentless pursuit of you and me, his people. Continually pursuing. And we see his unlimited willingness to forgive. Those themes all come together in a climax in the book of Revelation. We get to see him as the judge. We get to see him judging the world in a time of tribulation like the world's never seen before. And if you're staying abreast of current events, you wonder, how bad can it get? A lot, lot, lot worse. And it will. The end is coming. He promised it. He's coming soon. Same promise he gave 2,000 years ago. We sometimes get a little bit cynical, maybe. Maybe a little bit lazy in looking. Because we read, he's coming soon. That was written almost 2,000 years ago. That isn't soon. We got, we got to remember, he thinks different than we think. In eternity, 2,000 years is barely registers. We think our lives are so important. 70, 80, 90 years is just barely a spot on the timeline of eternity. He says he's coming back. And he says, you're going to see signs of my coming back, but no one knows when for sure. Well, let me tell you, if you're staying abreast of current events, the signs are everywhere. They're everywhere. I don't know how soon I'm coming back soon is, but it's 2,000 years sooner than it was. And if you think that's a long time, maybe it's real, real soon. Because the signs are out there. And we're, we get to see a glimpse of him as that judge in Revelation. And of course, we get to see that execution of final judgment. We get to see glimpses of him and his bride, the church, that's us, coming back for his bride. The wedding supper with the lamb. The things that we hope for, hang on to. Revelation is the climax of that. So, a long, brief review. How is that? And here we are. The Apostle John is the only one of the originals still alive. He's been, he's been a disciple, or it's been about 70 years since he became a disciple. He's on an island called Patmos. As I said, he's the only one still alive. History would seem to tell us that all the rest have been martyred. They've been killed. And history would seem to say that John was the only one that wasn't martyred that way. If you go back and read through the Gospels, you see John had a unique relationship with Jesus. Some people think he was a cousin, the son of Salome. 
But whatever he was, we knew he, we know he was in that inner circle of the three. Not just of the twelve, but of the three. And we know that he experienced amazing things. Can you imagine if you were John? You were there for almost everything Jesus did in his ministry. You saw him healing the sick. You saw him raising the dead. You saw him doing amazing miracles time and time again. Taking a few fish and a couple loaves of bread and feeding thousands. No big deal. You got to see him do all these. You were there at the cross looking up at Jesus when he was dying. You were the one Jesus looked to and said, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. He had an intimate relationship with Jesus. And he declared that gospel message. And he shared the testimony of Jesus for all of his years. So such a point that they decided, let's put him on an island in the middle of nowhere and shut this guy up. It wasn't God's plan to let him die as a martyr. Well, how did it work? It didn't shut him up much, did it? He's on this island of Patmos, and he has a revelation from God. God's not through speaking to him yet. And because he was alive, because he was where he was, and because he was so faithful to Jesus, Jesus spoke to him one more time. And the message that he spoke to him still resonates today, and it's in our Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. He spoke. I'm going to read to you, and it's going to be on the screen, but it's kind of long, so you may just want to listen. But I'm going to read to you chapter 1 of Revelation. Because all the things that John had experienced and witnessed with Jesus, as astounding as they were, nothing had prepared him for what he was about to see in a vision on the island of Patmos. Nothing. All he could do was to fall to the ground as if dead and worship. He was so blown away by what he saw. Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything that he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God the Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. I am the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's why he was sent there. He wouldn't shut up. 
On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned I saw seven golden lampstands. And along, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I, behold, I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. He was blown away by what he was about to share. He was totally blown away. And unless you read the whole book of Revelation and study it, you cannot begin to understand all of what he saw. But some of what he saw should just touch our heart and change us forever. We need to understand the difference and the contrast that we begin to see in the Scriptures. You know, in the Old Testament and much of the New Testament, the descriptions of Jesus weren't all that exciting, quite frankly. Listen to some of the words that I think you'll recognize from the Word of God as descriptive terms of Jesus. He was a tender shoot. He had no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him. He was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was born in a barn. He was a son of peasants. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? All these things were describing Jesus the Messiah. Not too flattering, quite frankly, are they? But then Revelation comes. And the book of Revelation. And Revelation in the Bible basically means the uncovering the unveiling, or the disclosure of. And what is being uncovered? What is being unveiled? What is being revealed to us? Jesus. The matchless, indescribable Jesus. I mean, seriously, you sometimes hear a story that causes the hair to stand up on the back of your neck or you get goosebumps all over. This one tops any story you've ever heard. Any story you've ever heard. And yet, much of mankind doesn't respond to it. Listen to the description of just some of the terms in the book of Revelation. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Almighty, the Living One. I am the Lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the Root of David. I am the Faithful and True. I am the Faithful Witness. I am the Word, the Word of God. I am the King of Kings and I am Lord of Lords. I am the bright and morning star. How's that for contrast? That's who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. That's who he is right now. And that's who he's going to be forever and ever and ever. You know, in John's vision, and as I said, I'm going to be painting with such a broad stroke, I hope it excites you to go and study it. 
And you just don't say, I don't get it, and leave it there. When John's vision, it says he saw the throne room of heaven. The throne room of heaven. Man, if you know anything, I want to see the throne room of heaven. You should want to see the throne room of heaven. God, got, God showed it to John on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation chapter 4. Go there if you're going to read it. We aren't going there now. We don't have time. But Revelation chapter 4. The unimaginable splendor and beauty of this place and quite frankly some of the unbelievably weird things that are used to describe it. Because it's, I don't think it's possible for us to understand with our natural minds what we're going to see in the throne room of heaven. He sees God upon his throne. He's surrounded by living creatures, surrounded by the elders, worshiping him continually. Then he sees God and he's holding in his hand this scroll. And it's a significant scroll. And there's no one found in heaven, it says, to open the scroll. And that fact so impacted John, he says, I just wept. In the midst of this vision, he starts weeping because there's no one to open the scroll. And then it's like all eyes turn to the Lamb who looks like the Lamb who was slain. The scars still there. He was the one worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one worthy to open the scroll. I can't almost imagine the celebration in heaven when he could open the scroll. And yet when he opened the scroll, some of what was in there was not all that good, at least for the world. Because when he opened the scroll, what they see is seals, trumpets, and bowls. Now, if you haven't read Revelation, you'll go, big deal. You need to read Revelation about the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, because it's talking about the judgment to come. You can start reading in chapter 6 and you could read a number of chapters about the seals, trumpets, and bowls. And as you read it, you might want to help just realize that it's not necessarily all chronological. Some of it's going on simultaneously. But even if you don't understand it all, it's worth reading because the judgment that is coming is going to be horrific. We can't imagine what's going to come. We see shortly after this the bride. The bride in Revelation is you and me. It's the church. We see the bride of Christ ready, wearing clean linens, it says, prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an invitation only event. All have been invited. Only a few just choose not to accept the invitation. You and I have been invited, and the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you said yes to the invitation. It's like you sent your RSVP saying, I'm coming. I'll be there. And the only reason you could get that invitation, the only reason you could say yes, I'm coming, is because Jesus died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. And he offered that gift to you and me and said, here, I died in your place. Will you accept that? God, it would seem like such a no-brainer to someone who's a Christian or been a Christian for a long time, but remember when you weren't a Christian? I remember my religious days. I remember hearing all that stuff. And I remember ignoring it all. 
I didn't get saved until I was in my 30s. Thank God, by His grace, I wasn't killed before then. Or I'd have to really be worried about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. But the invitation's been sent, and, and John gets a picture of this wedding supper of the Lamb, the bride. And then he gets a picture of heaven opens up, and Jesus is descending on a white horse. Now, there's pictures. You can go online, and you can see pictures like that, and you go, wow, I, I, Jesus freaks me out. Wait till you read about it. It ought to freak you out. It's going to freak those out who see Him coming. The sword of truth from His mouth. The Word of God cutting. All truth. Lies being revealed. Deceptions being revealed. But for the world who hasn't accepted the invitation, it's too late. It's too late. That's why there should be such a passion in you and me as Christians to share the good news of the Gospel. Because if they see this coming, they're in trouble. It's too late. But John gets to see him coming. And he gets to see Jesus ready to wage war. And he's finally going to eliminate evil for all time for his bride, you and me. For all time. Read Revelation 19. The chapter, Revelation 19. It's scary, but it's exciting. It's amazing. The King of Kings, Jesus, <clears throat> was ready to rule. That's what John's seeing in his vision. Blazing eyes, it says. His eyes are blazing. His robe is blood-drenched. It's red. He's on this white horse. The sword from his mouth. And really, part of the significance of that sword coming from his mouth, the word, it's saying, you know what? His judgment is final and absolute. It's done. It's done. Scary, but oh, is that exciting. Because he has declared you and me sinless, holy, and righteous in his sight, by his word, because of what Jesus did and because of what you accepted. On the flip side of that, it's not so good. And it says that Jesus was accompanied by the armies of heaven. Amazing. You might hear people talk about the great white throne judgment. This final definitive great white throne judgment is really the final event of human history as we kind of understand it. The Bible says the dead will stand before the throne of God. And if their names are not found in the book of life, they are going to be cast into the same lake of fire that Satan and all his evil spirits and fallen angels are going to get thrown into. It's the final thing. Revelation chapter 20. And then it says this, John saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. It's amazing. You just got to read it. But get this picture in mind. It tells us this new Jerusalem is sort of like this. It's like a cube, 15 miles approximately by 15 miles by 15 miles, descending from heaven. The new Jerusalem in a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun to be there? No wonder John fell before the Lord as if he was dead. In Revelation 
21, verse 3, it says this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the order of things has passed away. Amen. Amen. No more grief. No more sadness. No more tears. No more death. Who doesn't want to be there? Who doesn't want to be there? In this future recreation, all the themes that we have been discussing since October 20th of last year have converged. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 when he created the Garden of Eden and then he created Adam and Eve so that he could walk with them, to be with them in a perfect, sinless environment. And here we are in Revelation, in the New Jerusalem, walking with him in a perfect, sinless environment. No more evil, no more darkness, no more death, no sadness. It has come full circle. God's upper story plan and his lower story that we live in have come to the same place. They have converged, and his upper story and lower story plan are now one. Hallelujah. It's coming to an end. This new Jerusalem, and, and, and really, I'd like to have all day because I'd love to read all these chapters to you, but read about the new Jerusalem. The gates, single pearls are the gates. Gold that's just clear. The city's made of it. You just go on and on. That's where we, the redeemed, Nothing impure will ever, ever enter into it. Then it talks about the water of life flowing from the throne of God. And this river of life flowing through the throne of God. Then it says it's lined on each side by the tree of life. Remember the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? You would eat of its fruit and you would live forever. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they had to be removed from the garden. Because they could not live forever in a sinless state. The tree of life is back. And not only, the Bible says, not only does it, just, does it bear fruit once a year, it says it bears fruit every month. We have continual access to the river of life flowing from the throne of God and the fruit of the tree of life for eternity. And you know, one of the exciting things you might miss completely is what's not in the New Jerusalem. Anybody want to take a stab at it? What's not sin, darkness, all that? Yeah, I've mentioned it all. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is not there. It was placed in the Garden of Eden to give man a choice because God gave us a free will. It doesn't have to be in the New Jerusalem because you and I will have made the choice the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The choice has been made. Living in the presence of God forever. 
In Revelations 21, verses 22 and 23, it says, The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. New Jerusalem. The city doesn't even need the sun, and it doesn't need the moon to shine, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. That's where we will live for eternity. This is the place of hope for all of God's redeemed people, for every single believer. It's the place where the upper story and the lower story come together and converge. It's here that you and I and all of the redeemed will enjoy the presence of God and our Lamb Jesus forever and ever. As Jesus was finishing his message to John in Revelation chapter 22, Remember we've talked about before, when the Bible says something once, you ought to pay attention. When it says it twice, it's pretty important. When it says it three times, get it. Well, in chapter 22, you're going to hear him say these these words three times. Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. The clock is running out. He's coming back. It's no wonder Christians in the Bible are referred to as a blessed people. That's our future. That's why we can say, praise God, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I do rejoice and give thanks for the revelation that you give us of what is out there for us. What is our future? God, that you reveal it to us, at least in part, when you say you go to prepare a place for us. Wow, what a place. God, I pray for each one of us here that if there is anyone here who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they would not hesitate a moment longer. God, that they would accept your gift that you freely give that cost you everything. Lord, I pray for all of us that have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray there is a new excitement, a new urgency to share the good news of Jesus with others. God, that we would truly have your passion and compassion for the lost. That we would share the truth in love, drawing people to Jesus. That they would never, ever, ever have to discover the reality of the lake of fire. God, I thank you for your love this morning for your church. Thank you for your patience and your long-suffering with us. I thank you, Lord, that your love is unconditional. And I pray, Lord, as we go our different directions this morning and the rest of this week, that we would be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit that we'll be aware of every divine appointment that comes our way. I would pray for your protection over each one of us as we go. And Lord, I would pray that in all that we do, Jesus is glorified and you receive glory and honor. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.